All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am joined by John Ledger, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for Pewter Report, but also is a extensive draft guru. He'll give us his thoughts on the Falcons draft class, as well as give us some insights into Tampa Bay's hall uh, this past weekend in the 2021 NFL. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. However, still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans and, of course, the host of this illustrious, world-renowned, preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, where you can find amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Just visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So as I said earlier, today's episode, we have a guest with us in John Ledger, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for Pewter Report. And John is, you know, formerly the the co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft many years ago, uh, preceding Ben Solak there as tag team partner of... Trevor Sikama, also one of the founding uh, people at the Draft Network. So John definitely knows his stuff. He's not just a Bucks guy. He's definitely a draft guy first. Uh, that also happens to cover the Bucks, formerly covered teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and whatnot. So John knows his stuff and, and certainly uh, is one of my go-to people that I listen to when it comes to this draft stuff. And we'll get his insights into this Falcons draft class. There were five players that the Falcons wound up selecting that were on his top 150 board that he posted over at Pewter Report uh, the week prior to the draft. And we'll get his insights on those players uh, as well as Kyle Pitts, Richie Grant, Jalen Mayfield, Drew Dahlman, Avery Williams, as well as some of the other prospects that the Falcons may have snagged on day three that weren't necessarily on his board, as well as get his insights into the players that the Bucks wound up selecting and how they had a relatively unique draft where they didn't have a ton of holes that they needed to fill. And they sort of had to have precision, uh, you know, tactical strikes uh, to fill certain spots on their roster as they look to get back and repeat uh, for the Super Bowl this upcoming season. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump into that conversation right now with John Ledger of pewterreport.com. So guys, welcome back to Locked On Falcons. Of course, I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am joined by John Ledger, who covers the draft and the NFL for pewterreport.com, covering those pesky Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we're going to have John on talking with us about the Falcons 2021 draft class, and we'll get some insights into that Tampa Bay Buccaneer draft class as well. But John, my friend, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. Always a pleasure to jump on and join you and talk some draft, talk some Falcons, some NFC South, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it seems like an annual tradition. I, I still remember you coming on the podcast after the 2017 draft to talk about Tack McKinley and what he could be. Obviously, it didn't necessarily work out uh, in <laughs> Tack's case here in Atlanta, but we'll see if maybe some of these other prospects that the Falcons picked up in 2021 uh, may work out in the future. And I have a good feeling that their number one pick is, is going to be a pretty good player. Uh, what were your thoughts on the decision for the Falcons to take uh, Florida tight end Kyle Pitts, number four overall, and what type of player do you think the Falcons are getting with him? Well, if you're going to pass on a future franchise quarterback, which I think they did in Justin Fields, 
you probably want to get the best other player in the player left in the draft. And I think they did that too. So hard to hit on Atlanta a lot. I mean, he's still have a really good quarterback in Matt Ryan. It's obviously he's, you know, under contract there, whether they decide to keep him long-term or not. To me, this move suggests that they really think that he's the guy that they can win with still with, with Arthur Smith in place. And so, yeah, I am, I am kind of totally in on Kyle Pitts in this offense. Um, I honestly think Arthur Smith's going to see some of the things he did with John U. Smith and try to do some of those things with Cal Pitts um, and just get him moving around. And he's going to, I think he's going to use him. It's going to be one of the most fun player coach kind of pairings in the league, I think, which is great because as just a neutral football fan, you know, regardless of all the NFC South ties and things, I just want to see good football and good football players be used in fun ways. So I am very, very excited to see what he can bring to that offense. Obviously with the receivers they have, it creates, really difficult matchup situations for Cal Pitts. You know, how do you defend him? That part gets tricky for other teams. Now, if Julio ends up not being there, it might get a little bit simpler for teams to figure out. But you know as well as I do, whether we like it or not, Pitts is going to start his career seeing single you know, single assignments. And he's get, he's not going to get double teamed right away. They're not going to bracket him like they were trying to at Alabama. Like they were, they're not going to do those kind of things. And so you're definitely going to have a situation where you're you're trying to Pitts is going to get his one-on-one opportunities plenty first early on. Yeah, I've been fascinated by the potential for obvious reasons of what Kyle Pitts can do in terms of creating those mismatches and and busting certain coverages. I'm just curious looking at a team like Tampa Bay that you cover, you know, how would they potentially defend, you know, Kyle Pitts in this Falcons offense this this fall as well as how do you think they maybe try to draw it up in, in future years when Kyle Pitts becomes more the focus of the offense? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that, actually. I think there's a couple ways they could try to do it. I mean, I know Levante David had success against Travis Kelsey in the Super Bowl. I don't think all that was just, oh, he's going to mark Kelsey no matter what they do. I think the way that the Bucs played at the Kansas City, they started using Kelsey just in the middle of the field, like short to intermediate, because the Bucs were playing a lot more too high and they were pushing. So they were trying to take advantage of that middle of the field. And that kind of played right into David's range and his skill set. But if you're not doing that all the time, you know, David's not going to go out against Kelsey and no offense to him. He's a great player, but I don't think he's going to go out against Kelsey or Kyle Pitts and like shut him down the field vertically. You know, that, that to me is a tall task for a linebacker. So I know that that experience was kind of fun and everybody will point back to the Super Bowl, but I think understanding the context is pretty important when you think about how Tampa Bay is going to defend tight ends like that moving forward. Um, I, I think with Pitts, the best bet that they have, let's say it's 11, let's go 11 personnel first and Pitts is the tight end. And let's say he's in line or he's flexed. Doesn't matter really. I mean, it will matter, but let's say that he's flexed in this situation. I mean, I think you're going to see a safety roll up on him. My question is, who is it? Is it Jordan Whitehead in that type of situation? If you've got 11 personnel and Pitts is in the slot, um, you know, if he's out wide, I think you're going to see a corner, but I, you've seen Whitehead in that situation before. If it's Whitehead, I think that's a really tough matchup. I don't know that he has man coverage skills like that, Aaron, to be able to defend any really premier tight end, but especially a guy like Kyle Pitts, just very dynamic. And I like Jordan Whitehead for what he is, but there are limitations in that way. I think the coaching staff needs to be aware of. So that's where it gets tricky. When you go 11 personnel and you spread you know, with him, I, that's, that's where it's going to be really hard to figure out exactly how you want to defend him. I think you'll see Whitehead. I don't know how it'll work. I think I hope maybe you see some Antoine Winfield and maybe Mike Edwards play some free safety. Maybe you see the Bucks counter with some dime defense. That's not something they did a lot of really until the Super Bowl. So Atlanta is going to present a different set of answers. You're going to need a different set of answers for Atlanta than you will for most other teams in the NFL. Like that, that's how good their skill players are offensively, at least. Um, now you may get pressure and those things may, you know, save the day, but you still want to figure out how to match up. So, and I'd say when 
they're in 12 and, and you have, you know, obviously you're closer to probably your base personnel. You know, if you're playing nickel and against their 12 and that's how you feel like you want to defend it, then I think Sean Murphy Bunting's going to see a lot of Cal Pitts uh, no matter what, which that's really what Murphy Bunting's built for. He's better against bigger receivers. Um, and so that's been more of his forte than the smaller, quicker type. So you'd hope that he could hang some. But again, Pitts is another challenge completely. Um, you know, and when Pitts goes wide, I wouldn't, you know, if he's the guy, especially if Julio isn't there, I think you'd see some Carlton Davis on him too. So there's not just probably going to be one simple answer. It'll probably be something they spend a lot of the offseason thinking about, especially if Julio is still there, then it's going to present a lot of challenges because, you know, you don't want Carlton to leave Julio probably. And you know what Calvin Ridley did to Sean Murphy Bunting the first time they met last year. And Jamel Dean's had better success against Ridley, but I, I still don't know if you want – it's just, yeah, you better play a lot of three safeties, a lot of dime defense, I think, if you want to beat Atlanta. And then, of course, Arthur Smith's going to want to run the football. So it's going to – yeah, it's, they're going to be one of the more challenging offenses in the league to scheme for, I think. Absolutely. So we will continue this conversation with John Ledger talking about the Falcons day two selection in Richie Grant, the safety that they selected in round two. And we'll continue that here on Locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that Nugenics is the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC and is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America. Yes, you football fan listening to Locked on Falcons podcast. You can get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea by texting draft to 231231. This unique man boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels, increases energy and lean muscle mass if you're over 40 or like me approaching 40 don't let age get in the way get your edge back right now with nugenics plus if you text right now they'll include a bottle of nugenics thermo their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape absolutely free all you got to do is text draft to 231231 that's draft d-r-a-f-t to 231231 message and data rates may apply so I'm here with John Ledger of Pewter Report. And John, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Falcons second round pick in UCF safety, Richie Grant. I know he was 44th on your top 150 draft board. What do you think he's bringing to the Falcons secondary? Man, he is tough. He competes. Uh, he's a really good tackler, just a clean tackler. Um, you don't, that's hard to find coming out of college. You reminded me of Taylor Rapp in a lot of ways, honestly. Um, they were just kind of like, there was not a lot of holes in their game. I don't know if they did anything really, really, really well. It was hard to beat them, um, but they didn't. They weren't like you never got the feeling watching them. Here's a transcendent athlete. Here's a transcendent man coverage type of player. Here's a guy you can put in the post, and they're going to be your single high free safety. Um, I think Richie Grant could play in the box, sure, but he's not the biggest dude either. So it's not like here's a game changer in the box, like a Jamal Adams type. Um, you know, I, for me, he's just he's a good, solid starting safety in the NFL, probably probably preferably a strong safety started his career at UCF kind of playing in the post and playing free safety a little bit more. Um, and I kind of do see some similarities to Ricardo Allen. I'm just not sure. I haven't watched enough of him at free safety to know whether I feel like he'll be as good as Ricardo Allen kind of was uh, at free safety. And so maybe there's some similarities there in the fact that Ricardo Allen could step into the slot and Grant is going to do that for sure. Ricardo Allen could do a lot of things and he was a great leader and he was a good communicator and the coaching staff loved him. And, and as far as all that goes, I think you'll find some similarities with Richie Grant. Uh, he'll be a guy that is a fan favorite and those kind of things. I think at the end of the day, is he overly dynamic? That's where he kind of lost me. And I ended up with a late second round grade on him. I, I like his game for sure. I'm not sure if we'll ever see a special player, but I think you'll see a very reliable starter with a high floor and that can do 
a couple different things for you pretty well. Now, it, it seems like I probably already know the answer now, given your last answer, but uh, Antoine Winfield was my top-rated safety last year, and I know there are several Falcon fans out there that still curse the Falcons' previous regime for not trading up for him and snagging him in round two last year. I'm curious, sort of, where would you compare Grant to Winfield as a prospect? I think both are, are pretty versatile guys. Um, you know, I think the biggest difference is probably Antoine Winfield just seemed way more athletic to me. Uh, so that's probably one of the and, – and instinctive too, maybe a little bit more instinct, although Grant has his moments where he shines in that area too. Um, but both guys definitely were good tacklers. They could play in main coverage. I think Winfield offers much more as a free safety than Grant will. Um, and I haven't seen Winfield much in man coverage in the NFL. He didn't really do it that much last year. So we still – in college, he was fine at it, but in, in in the NFL, we have not seen a lot of kind of how that'll work. So both of them still have that question answered in the NFL. But the last this past season, Richard Grant was in the slot a lot more than he was single high. And so um, that was the role difference, I'd say, the last time we've seen them on the field where Winfield was this past season in the NFL, obviously. He was more single high safety a lot of the time for Tampa Bay. And he would buzz down on occasion and blitz and do those kinds of things. So in terms of what they do around the box, I think you'll see good tacklers, physical football players, high character, good communicators. There will be those similarities for sure. But I just think at the end of the day, Winfield's probably a little more versatile, a little more dynamic, and, and offers a little bit more as a single high guy than Grant does. Well, we still got more to talk to John Ledger here of Pewter Report about the Falcons draft test, and we'll sort of move forward and talk about some of these day three prospects, uh, as well as the third round draft pick in Jalen Mayfield as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug, since we're talking about the Falcons draft hall, what about the other teams around the division and around the league in their draft halls? Of course, you can find one of the daily podcasts devoted to the entire league, national shows, with the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, as well as the Draft Dudes Podcast. But if you're curious, since we're talking with John Ledyard, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, on a separate opinion about what the Bucks did in the draft, in addition to what we'll hear from John later today on today's Locked On Falcons episode. Of course, you can check out the Locked On Bucks podcast, or if you're more curious on what the Saints and Panthers did, there's Locked On Saints, Locked On Panthers. Of course, there is a daily podcast devoted to all 32 NFL teams, and you can find them all wherever you get your podcasts, including the Odyssey app. So bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online this weekend had a ton of sports action on the go with the NFL draft in the first leg of the triple crown in the Kentucky Derby. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game. Head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses and contest info. Bet online gives you the latest news odds and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That means as you deposit a hundred bucks, you get $50 in free money to play with. All you got to do is use that promo code locked on bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So we're talking about the draft here with John Ledger of Peter report. And of course, the key to good drafting is finding the right parts. And sometimes you got to find the right parts for cheap, particularly on day three of the draft. And if you want to find the right parts for your car, you're not going to necessarily be able to draft them, but you can find them for very cheap. All you got to do is head over to rockauto.com. They have everything from engine parts, motor oil, new carpet, brake parts, tail lamps. You can get everything you need. It's just 
a few easy clicks away and it will be delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand specification and price that you prefer. And those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. The same for professionals and do it yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much? And in some cases, as I know personally, you can spend maybe four or five times as much by not going to rockauto.com, right? So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in the, how did you hear about us box? They know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So I'm joined with John Ledyard of pewter report covers the draft had a top 150 board and the Falcons selected a few players on that board, including Kyle Pitts and Richie Grant, who we've already discussed on today's episode. Uh, Jalen Mayfield was also on that board. He was at 89. Drew Dahlman, the center that the Falcons took in round four, was at 108. And Avery Williams, the Boise State corner, was 143. What can you tell me about those three prospects? Mayfield needs some work, I think. Uh, right tackle uh, at, at Michigan this past year, just thought technically it was kind of a mess. Um, and then he didn't test that well, and it's like, I don't get too caught up in that stuff. You know, if you're good already on tape, it's not doesn't really bother me that much. When you need work, and it's like, okay, well, what's the upside? What's if he if everything pans out? What's the upside? Um, I don't know. Maybe if you put him inside, though, he could really be a difference maker. I mean, he is powerful. His frame is pretty pro ready. Um, yeah, I. There are things I definitely liked about him. I just was a little bit worried technically if he stays a tackle. I think he's going to get exposed a lot um, for a guy that big and strong. You just have to know how to use your hands better. I mean, he got knocked back way too much in pass protection and you know, power rushers got into his frame and he's condensed in the pocket. And it just wasn't very clean a lot of the time with Mayfield. And you just wanted to see a guy that big and strong just kind of manhandle people a little bit more. And then there were reps in the run game where he did that and he buried guys. Um, he's just kind of really a hit or miss player. You have to get him to focus. You have to get him technically cleaner. Um, those are going to be all the things to watch with him, I think. Uh, I was surprised he tested as poorly as he did. I, I thought there was a little more you know, upside there athletically. So maybe you find that in the NFL as he develops some things. But um, I like Drew Dahlman's fit a ton there. I mean, like a lot. He was the one that was hard to gauge. I, did, I don't think I got to watch enough of him, first of all, because um, I was cramming for all these guys after covering mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. And I watched some of them, and I thought, man, he, he's a good player, but I just thought he's so scheme-specific. And then he, you know, when you end up in a really good scheme for you, you know, like Arthur Smith, where I think it's going to be a lot of zone and you're going to see that kind of a run scheme, then I think you know, you're going to probably end up playing pretty well, You know, playing probably at the higher end of the potential that I, range that I kind of saw for him. And so – I think he could be their starter right away. Now you probably know better than I do about how they feel about Matt Hennessy. And and obviously they want Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, both first round picks to be that right side. And Jake Matthews is still on the left side. And so, you know, Hennessy and, and, and Dahlman can, could Hennessy be the guard and Dahlman be center and, um, or maybe it's vice versa. I'm not really sure. You probably have a better idea than I do about where those guys end up. But I think those could be your two starters straight there would be my guess. There's obviously some other names in there in the conversation for them as they try to sort out kind of who those starters will be. Um, but that would be my guess, at least. I don't know if that's how most Falcons fans feel about how that'll work out or not. Uh, now, Avery Williams is interesting because I didn't see very many people ranking him. Um, you had him at 143. Frankly, I had never heard of him until the Falcons drafted him. Uh, did you sort of like him more as a special teams guy or a defensive contributor? Special teams guy. I just wanted to have him in the 150 because I knew who he was. And I knew, you know, at that point, I'm like cramming trying to get to a 150. And I knew who he was because he had nine return touchdowns in college. And that's just like, 
incredible to me. I mean, that blows my mind. Um, and I do wonder a little bit, okay, how, you know, if he's fast, but is he fast enough? And all those things kind of go through your head, but it's hard to argue with nine return touchdowns. I mean, how does that even happen, man? Like that is just crazy. Uh, one of them was a block kick. I think the other one, he blocked also like four kicks during his time. I mean, just crazy, weird stuff. Like you don't see that kind of special teams production ever, like in a college player. So it was wild. Um, so I just, yeah, I want to have him in the top 150 because I was like, man, I, I this cat really is interesting to me. And then they also talk really highly of his character and his smarts um, for the position. Maybe he's not the most instinctive. He's definitely not the biggest or probably even the most athletic corner. But I don't think it's crazy to say he could crack a corner room too, like without the return stuff. Um, he's definitely a talented kid. Um, and, they, and they really speak so highly of him as a person and his work ethic and just his intelligence for the game. So he just felt like a guy that might just make it and stick and have a long career on special teams at the very least. And so I definitely wanted to make sure I had him ranked. I was hopeful that the Bucks would maybe take him in the fourth round. They went for Jalen Darden instead. And honestly, it's going to be one of those things, Aaron, where we're as, as nerdy as this sounds, we're going to be comparing return guys for a long time because the Falcons took Williams and the Bucks traded up for Darden in the same round. So it, yeah, it's going to be a, a fun head-to-head comparison between those two return guys for a long time in this division. All right, I look forward to it. I look forward to all nerdy football conversations. <laughs> um, were there any other sort of draft picks for the Falcons on day three or maybe some undrafted free agents that you saw them pick up that stood out to you? Well, <laughs> so Darren Hall, I don't know if you've seen this or I, not. I, I but think I saw Did it. you see this? Yeah. Okay, so there was something about Darren Hall has, like, personal connections on the Falcons. His coach, his coaches in college have personal connections with the Falcons coaching staff. And when Darren Hall was drafted, much like the year before when Jalen Hawkins was drafted, I believe, was he the fourth round as well? Yeah, fourth round, I believe, when he was drafted. And um, I think that was a shock to people. And then Michael Walker was also a fourth round pick. So the Falcons have been, like, kind of shocking us with fourth round picks for a while. And I remember everybody's kind of like, how does this happen, you know? And so – this thing with Darren Hall was like, he gets picked. And I was like, yes, he gets picked because in, I think it was you that tweeted that there was all these personal connections that he had with the staff. And I was like, that's how like that, that happens where he gets picked way above the range that most people were expecting to see above the range, the consensus big board, they had insight into the person that other teams did not have insight into. And in a draft process like this one, as you know, Aaron, man, that is really, really important. They had insight into the athlete, the player, the person, what makes them the work ethic, all of that that other teams didn't have. So while other teams might have seen tape and said, okay, we're going to take him in the sixth round. Everybody who evaluated him might have seen, oh, okay, we're going to take him in the sixth round. The Falcons had a unique look into who he was as a player that allowed them to take him above where most people considered him a viable prospect. Um, so that was the reason for the shocking pick. That sounded like I was ripping on him, I guess, to some people, but it was really just kind of a presenting why this happens. Like this happens for this reason. I don't know because I didn't scout Darren Hall, whether he's worthy of that spot or whether, you know, he wasn't. And it was just those connections. I don't know that, but I just know that I bet 31 other teams weren't going to pick him that high. So how, what happens with his career could be a great testament to that relationships that they had. So it's a unique pick in my opinion, because you don't see that all the time. And what happens in his career is really going to be completely a testament to the scouting side and the personal connections that they had, which if he develops into a good player could give them, could have given them a real edge over the rest of the teams that were considering Hall because they knew a little bit more about him and maybe that little more that they knew really ends up mattering in his career. Yeah, and I think those little insights make a difference because you know day three guys 
you got to find, you got to pick and choose where you can fit in with, with NFL rosters and right. you can get a slight edge in terms of your evaluating and in turn a fourth round pick that, you know, for your average NFL team, I don't know, maybe a third of those guys mm-hmm. wind up, you know, sticking long-term in the NFL. And, and if you can increase that sort of percentage with those sort of personal insights, I think it, it can be a big advantage. Yeah. And it was cool that you were right on that. Cause I was like, what, when he got picked, I was like, wow, I don't, and I looked at it on the consensus board. I don't remember where he was, but I know he's further down there. And I had not heard anybody talk about him leading up. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, so I'm looking. He's, you know, it's early round four. I'm, I'm like not expecting to see names I don't know falling off the board just yet. And then you said that, and it was like, all right, like I get it now. Like they had insight into this guy that a lot of us didn't have. And we'll see at the end of the day if that ends up mattering. Now, I, I want to wrap up today's episode here with John Ledger of Pew Report talking about the team that he covers. And uh, get your thoughts on their draft class. I'm looking at their sort of top three selections, which are basically the only guys I have any particular insight into. And it, it seems like this is a future-focused draft. you got Joe Tryon, likely, I guess you would probably pencil him in as the JPP era parent for 2022 and beyond. Kyle Trask, obviously could be stuck behind Tom Brady as a developmental type uh, potential starting upside down the road. I know they just brought back Blaine Gabbert as well. So uh, he, he'll probably be stuck uh, buried on the depth chart there as, as holding the clipboard as their QB three this upcoming season. Robert Hainsey was a guy that I liked as a college, you know, he was played college tackle, but seemed like he was one of those guys that projects pretty well to playing inside at center. And, you know, Ryan Jensen's getting up there in age. Is that a fair characterization of how the Bucks see those picks? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a little bit surprising to see the Bucks. They really didn't go best player available. I mean, they may have also considered the best player available, but they certainly they were drafting for need as a team without really any needs. So that that fascinated me a little bit that they really kind of had a clear plan. They wanted to come out of the first three rounds, I think, with a pass rusher that they really liked, uh, a quarterback that they really liked. I think Tryon and Trask were the two guys they considered most likely to be there for them. They weren't sure if Trask would make it to the end of round two. And they wanted to come out with some interior offensive line help. Whether they had to predetermine the order or not, I'm not sure, but it really kind of felt like they did. I mean, they they turned in the try-on pick in about 30 seconds. If you were watching the broadcast, it didn't take long at all. They knew exactly what they wanted. They kind of watched that position group throughout the whole first round, and that was kind of an easy decision for them. And I know Trask was obviously at the top of their quarterback board at the end of the first round, and uh, you know I think that when they got to him in the second round, I, they didn't move up. So, you know, they weren't like, we got to have this guy. You know, I don't think it was like that situation for them. But I think they were happy that he landed there. And, you, you know, we'll see with, with Tryon, he gets a chance to learn behind Jason Pierre-Paul this year and develop. That's what he needs, really. He needs he didn't get this past year on the field. He needs the year to develop and, and to see what he can become. So I'm excited for Tryon in that way because that's what he needs. There is more potential there than he showed in college. He's got to cut down a lot. There's a lot of wasted movement right now for him. If he can do that, he has really good athleticism, great physical tools. There's a lot to work with. I'm excited to see what happens with him this year. And then with Trask, I would love to see him win the number two job. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to happen just because of Gabbert's experience. They could, even if they play pretty comparably, the coaches might just feel a little more comfortable putting Gabbert in that role. But in my mind, if you're taking a quarterback in the second round, I think they should at least be able to win the number two job. <laughs> that's just how I feel about it. I don't think Gabbert's anything special. I mean, he's, he's a solid backup. I'm glad he's back. Uh, I think that it means a lot to them in the locker room and a lot to the coaches on the sideline, uh, good energy for the guys. But at the end of the day, I mean, you take Kyle Trask in the second round, you know, I think he should be able to beat Gabbard out. So at least I want to know that he's the second best quarterback on the team by the time the regular season rolls around, even if they technically put him at number three because of experience or some other BS like that. Now that's kind of my idea for Trask short-term, long-term, 
how much to the physical and athletic, you know, he's just not that he doesn't have that cannon arm. He can't create outside of structure. He's not really a creator at all. He's not an athlete. So, you know, you have to just become really, really mentally sharp. And, uh, you know, he's, he's already shown a lot of growth that way. Uh, 2019, 2020 was, was really impressive. Um, he's not played that much football compared to other guys at his position, despite being a little bit older. So technically you could see some, some upside there with him he, as tapped out as he is physically and athletically, there might be some upside mentally. So I'll be a blast to watch him. I can't wait to see kind of how that unravels with him and, and their situation over the next two years. And then I think in the third round, Hainsey just needs some work. I mean, like you, I, I was intrigued by him as a mid round prospect. Glad he went to a team. He doesn't have to play right away. Um, physically, his body's not that impressive. I think he might need some, like Alex Kappa when he came to the NFL, might need some time and some work on his body. And Tampa Bay's obviously done that with Kappa and they've gotten guys there. So I think they feel good about their ability to get him there. He's also got to learn some new positions. He just played right tackle in college. We saw him at center and guard. At the senior bowl, he played well, um, but it's still going to be a, a little jump for him to go do that in the NFL. So my guess is you'll see him be the ninth O-lineman for them. They'll bring somebody else in. He'll be kind of a developmental gear for him. And then they'll see kind of maybe toward the end of the year, how do you feel about him? Is he good enough to maybe step into your lineup next year or compete with somebody for a spot in the lineup and you let Alex Kappa walk? Or Ryan Jensen will also be a free agent. Do you let Ryan Jensen walk? You know, he'll be a piece to the puzzle of evaluating all that when the time comes. So three good picks. I mean, you're picking at the end of each round and you really, you can't take half the positions because your roster is so good at them that you need whoever you take at that position to be able to play special teams more than you need them to be able to play that position. So it's a very unique draft, hard to evaluate and give them a grade because they couldn't do very much because the roster was so full already. We don't, I don't think we've seen teams like that, Aaron, that have that full of a roster and that impressive of a roster go into the draft, you know, as ready as they were. I mean, they really could have probably suited up their team the next day. And I don't think you could say that for anybody else in the, in the NFL really at that point. So unique draft for me to evaluate and cover as a media member. Don't think I'll see one like that again for a team, but it was a lot of fun. And I am excited to see what the guys they did add will do eventually down the road. Now you mentioned Jalen Darden as well. Are there any, uh, day three guys, including Darden, that really st- sort of stand out in your eyes. That Falcon fans, you know, might have to keep an eye on that two, three years down the road. You know, this guy's going to, you know, cause some problems for him. I don't think so because the Bucks really could not draft anybody to actually play for them. I know this sounds ridiculous, but like if you looked at their roster, they only really had their fifth cornerback spot open. And if they drafted somebody that was going to be like good basically and bump their corners down, they would have guys like Ross Cockrell or, or Jamel Dean playing special teams, you know, all four phases of special teams. And they don't really want that. That's not really what those guys are good at. Plus they don't really want Dean doing that, you know, this year they want him playing defense. So they were in a pickle. That's just an example, but they were in a pickle with some of these positions wide receiver, really same thing. And I know they traded, up for Darden, but Darden's only path to the roster is by winning the return job. If he beats Jaden Mickens out, he's their sixth receiver, he's the returner. And I'm assuming he's going to do that. Uh, I thought Mickens was good last year, but you know, I'm assuming Darden has more upside and he's going to have the upper hand in doing that. So he'll have to really, you know, disappoint, I think, not to win that job. Uh, but that was the risk to me with Darden. Again, that's the hard part. There were probably better wide receivers on the board, but you had to get the returner, you have to get the special teams impact so guys like kj Britt, they traded their sixth round pick their two sevenths you know those guys are just special teamers to me i mean maybe chris wilcox has some development offside at corner but guys like kj Britt and grant stewart who they took in the fifth and seventh round linebackers they're just sealing as special teams you know linebacker four type of guys so they really it's it sounds crazy they really couldn't afford to take many developmental types they had to look for the best most pro ready special teams types rather than the guys who could eventually develop into 
you know, Levante David's replacement or Carlton Davis's replacement if they lose him in free agency next year. So it was a weird, like I said, it's a weird draft, man. You just had to kind of throw out your rankings because they couldn't go off the rankings. They had to go off the special teams rankings and I don't have those. So I just can tell you he's good at linebacker. I don't know who projects well to team. So it was an interesting draft, but I don't think I see anybody day three, unless it's Darden in the return game that the Falcons fans are really going to have to be worried about. Okay. Well, John, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your insight into both the Falcons players picked as well as the Buccaneers. Uh, let the people know, you know, what you're working on now that, you know, this busy time of the offseason is now done. You know, is, is there a little time off for you uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the summer before things start to pick up in training camp? Or are you going full bore? Are you, are you already dropping uh, scouting reports on Sam Howell versus Spencer Rattler or whatever <laughs> the case may be for 2022? What, what do you got? No, definitely some time off here, man. And that's something I haven't done enough of in the past. And I would suggest it for anybody draft game or whatever walk of life you're in, man, take some time, relax, get away from it. It doesn't matter how much of a grinder you consider yourself. We all need that. And so would highly recommend it. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to do, I'm going to still work here and there. Obviously, you know, I'm going to be working on stuff at pewterreport.com. And of course that led you to NFL draft on Twitter, but probably won't see me on there a bunch much. It's in the summer either. You know, when the season picks up, I'm going to kind of get away from, from most of it as I typically have, as I've tried to start doing in the summers and, kind of get away from everything and unwind from the football scene a little bit. And obviously I'll still my content up. And during the regular or during the summer, my one big thing is I always do the, the positional rankings. You're across the league, you know, here's the top 25, 30 wide receivers. Here's the top, you know, so I'll watch a lot of tape and I'll, you know, always put out those to make sure I know the league well. But um, so those will be fun things for people to follow along with probably and maybe i'll get the crew together and we'll do another nfl top 100 and see if we can narrow down our board last year that was quite contentious so with a lot of people so we'll see if we can do some fun stuff like that again but summer's a fun time for content um but yeah definitely going to take some time relax a little bit before another crazy season gets underway yeah i'm sure no one's going to be triggered by your top 100 this year <laughs> you you'll smooth out all the wrinkles and there will be not a single person who will disagree with any of your rankings doesn't matter what i do man it seems like it triggers somebody <laughs> I can understand it, but that's how it goes. All right, John, again, I really appreciate you coming on talking with me about this draft and look forward to, uh, you know, whatever uh, your next endeavors. And obviously for any Falcon fans listening out there, you know, John covers the Bucks, and you're not going to find better coverage out there than what he and the folks over at Pewter Report uh, do for that team. So certainly going to get you some uh, valuable insights into a division rival that is obviously, you know, looking to try to repeat and we'll see if the Falcons with, with the help of Kyle Pitts and Richie Grant and some of these other players will be able to uh, dethrone those Buccaneers and, and throw a wrench into those plans uh, as their attempts to uh, when was the last time we had to te- a team go back to back and win the Super Bowl? I think it while. was Brady and the Patriots early on, right? The Pan- Rams Panthers, right? Yeah. Okay. That's that what I thought. I, that's okay. I just 2002, 2003, maybe. Yeah. Somewhere around there. So it, yeah. it's been a while. It's been a while. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, people will be gunning for the, pay, the, the, <laughs> oh, not no the Patriots, qu- the Bucks. No, yes. No question. It'll be fun. All right, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care of yourself, man. All right. You too. All right, guys. John Ledger, Peter report. Check him out. Uh, at Ledger NFL draft. And uh, tomorrow's episode will probably be reacting to, the smorgasbord of uh, uh, pressers from the Falcons' assistants on Wednesday, 
And so we'll see what's up with that and see if there's any interesting nuggets and insights that we can glean from those pressers about any upcoming competitions and whatnot as we enter training camp. Because obviously with the new coaching staff coming in, you know, there are going to be, uh, you know, battles, roster battles, and then the opportunity for guys, uh, given that there won't be any sort of preconceived notions about some of the incumbents as well as the new guys, uh, where opportunity will be had. You know, Harvey Dahl is the go-to example of what I think of, of a guy that came in and, and upset uh, Keenan Forney, longtime starter for the Falcons at the right guard position, and, you know, went down in Falcons history, in, or at least in Locked On Falcons, Falc fans lore, uh, as one of the great right guards alongside players like Keenan Forney. And now Chris Lindstrom on the Pantheon. John Osimo is also on that Mount Rushmore, at least of Falcons right guards that I remember watching over the last 20 years. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. If you have any feedback that you want to provide me on anything I talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on past episodes, or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes of Lockdown Falcons, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at Mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.